Welcome to the Texas Values Report. This is Jonathan Sines, President of Texas Values. Great to be with you on another glorious week in the state of Texas. Welcome to December. It is going to be a very interesting month. You know, it's the month of Christmas, right? A lot to look forward to, a lot of anticipation, the birth of Christ, the Christmas tree. Maybe you've got your lights up. I'm about a week behind because I was in the Supreme Court. I was in D.C. this week. That took up a big chunk of my week, but I don't regret it because I firmly believe it was one of the most important, if not historic days for the pro-life movement. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that on today's show. If you're new to the show, we talk about the issues of faith, family, and freedom in the arenas of the courts, the legislature, and the media. And if you're watching on social media, on Facebook, like this post, share it, put it into some groups. Let's get some numbers out there. Let's multiply the audience because we've got a great show today. We're going to go for about 26 minutes and we got a great guest today. You know, look, when we talk about these issues, we try to bring to the table folks that come at these, uh, the work that we do from different angles, from different backgrounds. And when it comes to pro-life issues, you'll be hard pressed to find anyone who's seen a variety of those different angles and backgrounds and experiences than Arena Grosu. Arena has been involved in pro-life work for probably a couple of decades. Don't mean to date you too much, Arena, but I know <laughs> you, you know, when you and I started talking about you working together and, and doing some consulting work for Texas Values, helping us with our communications work. And a lot of it revolved around the heartbeat law, the Texas heartbeat law, which was not in law at the time, but was getting close to that. I also got to learn a little bit more about your background. So it it, it's uh, quite extensive. She's been uh, she's been in roles for Family Research Council. She's been in roles for EWTN. She's also been more of a recent role in a communications role with the Trump administration. So welcome back to the Texas Values Report, Arena Grossu. Thanks, Jonathan, for having me on. Well, look, it's good to have you on. And it's great to have you as a part of the Texas Values team as you were on Wednesday when we were all in D.C. at the U.S. Supreme Court together because there was a lot of work to do. There was a lot to take in and really a lot to observe, right? Whether it's visually, we were also trying to listen to the Supreme Court oral arguments and just to set the stage for people, okay? If you didn't see some of the news this week, on Wednesday, the U.S. Supreme Court was hearing oral arguments. There was a court hearing from a, about a pro-life law from the state of Mississippi. So in essence, this law makes it clear that babies are protected in the womb after 15 weeks of gestation or, or pregnancy. And so, you know, as far as where the line is drawn on those type of things, that's seen as one of the earlier time periods. The cases, uh, the, the law has been challenged by the abortion side up at the U.S. Supreme Court, really for an ultimate decision on this in the oral arguments happening on Wednesday. That date's been there for a while, but not only that, this is one of the first case in several decades that has the potential to be a direct challenge to Roe versus Wade. So a lot of people were there in anticipation, a lot of setup, a lot of activities, a lot of events, but really, you know, when we get down to it, it was a, a moment uh, where people were taking a look around and thinking and reflecting about how important this moment might be moving forward. And, and everyone sort of felt the gravity of not only what might be at stake, but what might be possible and what might be decided. And so it was great to have you there with our Texas Values team arena uh, to experience that. Um, and so these are life and death issues. But so not only could we see the Mississippi law upheld, but it's possible. It's certainly possible that we could see the overturning of Roe versus Wade with this court case. 
Yes, and I think that uh, people are actually very optimistic about how the arguments went on Wednesday. Uh, and even as, as we talked about, even New York Times, Washington Post, some of the, the bigger um, left-leaning uh, papers are really scared because uh, it looks like it's, it's going to be very good for, um, for the side of life. And I think, it's this, it, I think it's the right time for it. And what I mean by that is, America is one of six countries that still allows abortion, uh, late-term abortion up to the day of birth. One of six countries, and includes China, North Korea, and 90% of other countries do not allow abortions after 15 weeks. So we are really lagging. Uh, the Mississippi case is a very strong case. And even Chief Justice Roberts, he mentioned that the viability line is um, you know, the, the reason for it, it, it's, it, it kind of is arbitrary. And so I think that um, alongside with the other uh, Supreme Court justices, we see that um, there is a leaning towards uh, overturning Roe v. Wade. And I think it's going to go in that direction. That's what people are expecting. Uh, my experience being there in front of the Supreme Court, and I've been in front of the Supreme Court for other oral arguments, is that this was a big turnout. There was a yeah, lot of energy, a lot of positive energy, and it was amazing to be there with with friends alike. And I would say that pro-lifers were out there three, four, five times as many were out there as was the other side. And yeah, no, life think, is winning. No, I think our side clearly outnumbered the other side, uh, whether it was three, four, five to one. But it, it was definitely noticeable that there was no way you could be out there and not see the difference. And part of it was because of the way things were structured, right? They had barricades and we were on the sort of on the right side, you know, if you will, I don't know if that was intentional, but sort of center, you know, and, and center right. And then they had this sort of this kind of narrow space to walk through if you wanted to walk at least on some of the steps of the Supreme Court. And then on the left side was where if you're facing the U.S. Supreme Court, where the other side was. But it, it was quite a moment. It was quite a spectacle. And it was quite an experience to have that day. And a lot of it started the night before. I want to just step back for a second, too. You know, you mentioned you've been at the U.S. Supreme Court. You've been outside there before. So have I. You know, being a state-based organization, I don't travel to D.C. that often, probably a little bit more before I settled into the role that I am now. As an attorney, I've worked on cases before the U.S. Supreme Court. I was one of the attorneys for uh, late-term abortion survivor Gianna Jessen in a very important court case on that issue before the U.S. Supreme Court several years ago. Uh, you know, but you live in the area. I mean, you've had a lot of opportunities to go there. It just felt like it was different uh, on Wednesday, on December 1st. Uh, so I'm wondering kind of your reflections on how this time just felt different than maybe some of those times before. It just really felt like a celebration of life. You had groups coming over from the, their state groups. We had Connecticut, California, very, various, various groups. And then we had the national groups. You had Concerned Women for America, Students for Life, America's United for Life, Texas Values and others who came. And you could see that it, it actually felt like the, the times when people would come together for the March for Life, which is yeah. generally in January. And it felt like that kind of... Um, uh, uh, essentially a celebration of life, people coming together to support and protect uh, babies. And there was just a very positive and optimistic tone to the day. People stayed there until the evening. 
And I, I was there even 5, 6 p.m. People were still out there. And um, I, I had the pleasure of actually sitting in on a dinner where um, Scott Stewart and Attorney General Lynn Fitch actually debriefed the, the, the participants at the dinner about their experience uh, being there at the Supreme Court on Wednesday. And they were really optimistic. And so hearing it straight from them after the fact uh, gave me a lot of hope. We are looking at a post-Roe world. This is the time. And I think we have the right court for it. Uh, this is the time for us to really stand up for life. Uh, the, the viability line is arbitrary and the court will have a really hard time uh, upholding Roe and, well, and, and uh, upholding wanna... Mississippi and, and, and not doing anything to Roe. I want to get a little bit deeper into some of the legal analysis, the, maybe the policy analysis, some of the reactions for the court. Before we get into that a little bit deeper, though, I want to finish up on sort of who was there, right? Just to, so people can appreciate the historic nature, the gravity of the moment, right? Abby Johnson, one of the most well-recognized pro-life leaders, former clinic director for Planned Parenthood, right? She's spoken on so many different national stages. She was there. At this event, she was one of the people that was asked to speak from the podium. She gave uh, tremendous remarks. It was great to see a fellow Texan there. But you're right. You had the attorney general from the state of Mississippi, of course, and their solicitor general in the courtroom. Outside the courtroom, recognizable voices and faces like Penny Nance from Concerned Women for America. Pro-life movie director Jason Jones, who brought us the Bella pro-life movie and many others. But if you kind of – what I noticed, too, Arena, and, and I've been in this movement not – probably much longer than you, uh, but maybe a little bit more. I might have recognized some faces. You might have recognized some faces. I didn't know either. But I saw some of the older people that have been involved in this movement for a long time, right? Some gray-haired folks, some people that you know from like day one have been involved in this since 1973 to some very young high school and college students, all those students from Liberty University that were bussed in, right? And you see 21 buses, 21 yeah, buses right. of Liberty University. That should put to shame. Oh my goodness. Well, that should put to shame everybody else, yeah. all the other schools in the area that didn't come. But the pro-life movement is young, yeah. but uh, we would say that it spans the, the age groups, but really the young people are carrying it. And Kristen Hawkins yeah. and That's Students for Life. That's what I was thinking of. The younger are, groups, some of those younger groups like Kristen Hawkins. Then you had Allison Centifante, who's been worked with live action and other groups before that was sort of leading and putting together, you know, the rally and a lot of the speakers. And so just a lot of people that you think about elected officials that were there that took the mic from time to time. Um, I know Congressman Chip Roy from Texas came out there for a little bit, too, to greet people and say hello and take in the moment. But you saw just a wide spectrum as far as people, you know, some of their ages and how long they've been in the movement. And so it just really spoke to me of the historic nature and the significance of the day and what was happening. We took five members of our team. We had five members of our team there. That's most people we've ever taken to D.C., but I, it seemed like everyone was sort of doing the same thing. You, you know, as if we got closer, people recognized, boy, could this be the day? Could this be the moment? Could this be the year? Could this be the court case? Mm -hmm. And so I think a lot of that was confirmed, and I was so glad that we were there. All right, let's switch gears, and we might follow up on that in just a little bit, to some of the analysis in the courtroom. Really exciting to hear that you are part of 
um, a dinner the next day to hear some of the comments from the members from Mississippi that were inside of the courtroom from some of the things I heard from, from my vantage point outside and others is probably at least five votes to overturn Roe versus Wade and certainly to uphold the Mississippi law, maybe even a six vote from Roberts right. to find a way, but, all, but not only sort of the outcome of what they think the, you know, what we might think the outcome of that court case would be, but a change in maybe the analysis that could lead to that ditching the viability, um, you know, concept and standard getting rid of this so-called concept of undue burden and whatever that means, which has really allowed the other side to thrive, if you will, and to have success or to hold back a lot of pro-life laws for many years. There were a lot of things that moving forward, if the, this thing goes the way we think it may go based on the oral arguments and, and some of that interaction could be absolutely extraordinary and, and, and major changes at how th- at, you know, as far as how things happen in courts as it relates to issues of life. Yeah, that's right. So I think that uh, some of the things that the justices signaled, for example, with Kavanaugh, that really the Constitution is neutral on the issue of abortion. So why are we, why did Roe v. Wade even become law, right? Um, but then even uh, Justice Barrett, and she brought up the, um, the development that's happened, especially in the last few years of having uh, babies that can be saved, that people can drop their babies off at hospitals or fire departments, and that that, that really reduces the burden issue to women. And then, of course, with uh, Justice Alito, um, he, he talked a little bit about how just because uh, a ruling has been the the law doesn't make it right, um, and so it it doesn't uh, justify keeping it just because it 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 was it was a ruling um, because there's been cases that um, were overruled eventually because they were wrong. So um, I think that all of those different um, perspectives gives us a sense of where the justices uh, stood on the issue. And, and, and as I mentioned before, I do think it's time uh, that the court really takes up this issue of abortion and hopefully returns it back to the states. Um, and that will be just the beginning of our work uh, because once, once God willing Roe v. Wade is overturned, then we will take one state at a time yeah. and see how we can make it more pro-life, um, give the resources well, that they need. So no, that- I think that's, Im- that's important for people to know that if, if, um, the Mississippi court, excuse me, if the Mississippi law is upheld, that doesn't necessarily mean that Roe versus Wade will be overturned. It could be. And whether or not it's necessary depends on who you ask. There might be a pathway that they deal with where they overrule another U.S. Supreme Court, Planned Parenthood versus Casey, which is a Pennsylvania case um, coming out of that state in 1992. So there's going to be different ways that they might get there. But let's just for discussion's sake, say they went all the way or, or if it went to that degree and Roe versus Wade was overturned or tossed aside, it doesn't mean all of a sudden now across the country, you know, abortion is illegal. It then just simply goes back to the states, right? I think it's important for people to understand that concept and and know that all this then would mean is now we as the people get to decide individually in our own state through our elected representatives how we should handle this issue. Now in the state of Texas, we passed a law this year that makes it clear that abortion would be illegal in the state of Texas. Um, and you would go back also to some of the laws that were in place before um, the Roe versus Wade decision, but not all the states are set up that way. 
So, but I do think, um, you know, I think there was an article that there's maybe um, uh, close to two dozen states that are now in a similar position or that you would see have laws in place um, or mechanisms in place that would reflect that, that would allow for them to be a, you know, virtually a pro-life state if Roe versus Wade is overturned. But a lot of states will still have some work to do. But I think the time is now and the climate is there for to do that and for there to see, for people to see that support. There are over, there are about 400 pregnancy care centers in the state of Texas that are there ready to support women. Um, our friends at Student for Life say that there are 3,000 centers like that across the country. So in a lot of other states that are ready to provide that support so women and children are not alone in this decision, in this pathway moving forward. But, you know, I do think when you see these cultural movements, when you see these generational movements, have you seen with the life movement, that is, you know, right alongside technology advancing, us learning more about what the baby looks like and how the baby functions and responds in the womb. That's been a really big part of this. Those are things we didn't know in 1973. No, I totally agree. And I do think that technology is showing us more. We have the 4D ultrasounds. Uh, we can hear the baby's heartbeat. Uh, the baby can hear the mom's voice. We know that the ba babies can recognize the mom and dad's voice. Uh, so there's so there's a lot that uh, we, we are on the side of science. And I think that that's what the other side is fighting is, 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 is the reality of of the baby's development. And although I think it is possible for the court to uphold the Mississippi ban um, and not do anything on Roe, I do think that the way that it's leaning, that there is no middle ground. I think that we're going to see something really big happen in June. And I hope that uh, when, when the ruling comes out and it'll probably come out at the end of June, I hope that there will be some really big crowds there for for that day too, because I do think it will be historic. No, it's going to be it's going to be absolutely extraordinary. And I want to touch on a couple of things too, and, and then we'll conclude our conversation on this. So, speaking of Abby Johnson, she was there on Wednesday at the U.S. Supreme Court. She was one of the invited speakers. She was she was wonderful. She's also going to be at a Texas Values event. Okay, so if you want to see her in person, all right, and you don't have to travel all the way to D.C. and fight a crowd of 5,000 people. We've only got 150 seats for this lunch in Plano in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. So that's on Wednesday, December 8th. We got a couple of tickets left. And they might increase in price every day that we get closer to Wednesday because there certainly is a lot of attention around Abby Johnson. I don't know how many national interviews she has done between Wednesday and today because every time I look up on social media, she's <laughs> on some other big outlet. And good for her because she has an important story to tell and she's got a wide audience and she has the ability to change hearts and minds with her experience and her words and her wisdom and what she knows in her own transformation. But come see her in person at our event, December 8th. That's at Glen Eagles Country Club in the Plano area. We still have a couple of tickets available. It is a fundraising event, so it's a little bit more expensive than your regular lunch. But there's a reason for that because of the pro-life work we're doing. People like Abby Johnson that have stood alongside us. But not only Abby, who's an Aggie herself, but probably one of the most famous Aggies, Governor Rick Perry, former Secretary of Energy. Rick Perry, he's also going to be there. How do we get two of them at one event? I don't know. It's going to be something special. But it's a limited seating event. So this event's going to sell out. But if you get one of those a uh, little bit high level tickets, you can be at the reception and spend a little bit of time with Governor Rick Perry and also Abby Johnson, December 8th. Go to TXValues.org, get those tickets. But yeah, Abby was there. We know Rick Perry, when he was our governor, 
passed and signed into law a lot of different pro-life legislation. I remember the Choose Life license plate, other things that were in place. Um, I believe he was governor when the uh, sonogram law for the state of Texas was signed into effect. I got to tell you, though, Arena, I, you know, I say this not to make too much of it, but I was born nine months after Roe versus Wade. You know, there's so much significance for many of us individually when we think about these issues. Um, and I haven't, this isn't something I've done my entire life. Like that's all I've done is focus on the issue of life, but a substantial portion of it. Okay. For many of us that do this work, it was the life movement that got us into this work. Um, and, and I had some of those experiences that touched upon these issues in my family when I was in high school, if, if I have to go back that far. And so to be there that day, I think many of us too, even if you've only been involved in this movement for a few years or so, you're going, wow, you know, almost kind of want to pinch yourself. Could could we be on the cusp of this? But it truly feels that way. Yes. And I mean, there sadly, there's nearly 63 million babies who have lost their lives since 1973. Mm -hmm. And we are on the cusp of changing that. And um, I love what we've done already in Texas with the Harpy Law. 14,000 babies have been saved there. And little by little, we're, we're, we have been chipping away at uh, these abortion laws, and hopefully this this huge case will overtone Roe versus Wade, um, and at the very least, still uphold the Mississippi ban. Yeah, no, it's it, there's a lot to sort of speculate to prepare for, but after Roe is already starting. As a matter of fact, there's a website already set up by our good friends at Family Policy Alliance, afterroe.com, because the pieces are already in place for what society is going to be looked this going to look like the support that women and children are going to have in the state of Texas, a hundred million dollars allocated to the alternatives to abortion fund for nonprofit agencies to give out for women to get help and support that choose life. And so that culture is already existing. I think that's what gives the Supreme court an opportunity to say, you know what, the time is right to do that as well. The culture society is ready for this. Numerous states have passed pro-life laws. It's not like Texas and in Mississippi are just one of a few. And so I do think that's where we are. We're ready for sort of that post-Roe environment. And really, it's the Supreme Court catching up in a lot of ways to where the culture and society are. All right, I got a couple of wrap-up comments I'm going to make on my own. But Arena, I really appreciate the work that you're doing uh, alongside and on behalf of Texas Values, the work you've done for so many years to dedicate so much of your life to, to a variety of aspects of the pro-life movement. Really loved having you there with our meeting with Senator Ted Cruz's office, also Congressman Chip Roy. You're adding so much value to the work we do and so much value to the issue of life. And so we look forward to continue to work together, but we also want to just continue to say thank you and wish you well in some of the work that you're doing and the important work you're going to be doing moving forward on the issue of life. Thank you, Jonathan. It's a pleasure and honor to work with you. Absolutely. Arena Grossu has been our guest today on the Texas Values Report. Well, look, I'm still trying to debrief myself on what happened in D.C. because, you know, I don't really like to travel there that often as much as I used to because, you know, there's hard to find a direct flight and usually get in late. I got in late at probably almost midnight Wednesday night. My daughter had a band performance on Thursday that I absolutely did not want to miss. And sometimes if you fly in the next day, you miss a connection, whatever. All that to say, uh, the week and the hours got stretched out a lot. And I haven't had a lot of sleep or a lot of downtime to just kind of think about, you know, what all happened, what may be happening, how do we get to this point? Um, and so I do think it's, it's important to reflect from time to time. But so much, much of that is because the work we're doing right now is so important. Let's not wait 
until the Supreme Court puts a ruling out to talk about and to start implementing an after row environment and what we're going to do next. We're already doing that in the state of Texas. Check out our website, texasheartbeatlaw.com. You can find resources on what we're doing right now to prepare for that, to help and serve women and babies in our culture and society. And let's continue to, to move this conversation to that place of where we are because the media is going to try hard. I saw an article come out yesterday for an interview I was in. They refused, flat out refused to talk about the new state laws, the Texas heartbeat law. They kind of, they kind of, they want to continue to reference it as SBA. What, what is SBA? Nobody knows what that is. So it's almost intentional. How many laws have been passed with SBA? There's no significance to that number. It's irrelevant. This is the Texas heartbeat law. Okay, and the reason why some of them do it, I can't say that this is why all, but I'm pretty sure some of them do it because they know the power of words. And that is what the heartbeat law is about. It is about protecting the baby after a heartbeat is detected. That is what the words in the law say that is significant to the description of this law. And it's accurate, um, but it's transformational because when people hear and understand, wait a minute, a baby has a heartbeat at such an early stage. Why aren't we protecting that life? It just is common sense. So continue to have that conversation, continue to talk about it as being the heartbeat law and pray for the state of Mississippi. That decision may be made before they decide how they're going to address the heartbeat law. And there's a whole lot more at stake on the Mississippi Dobbs case and their pro-life law um, as it relates to what they have to go through to get to a result than the Texas heartbeat law. But they certainly have some connection to each other that is significant. These are just some of the many reasons why you should consider making a tax-deductible donation to Texas Values. We submitted a legal brief at the U.S. Supreme Court to support the Mississippi case. We've been one of the leading fighters in supporting and protecting the Texas heartbeat law. We were the lead faith and family group that helped bring the Texas heartbeat law into existence. So many other reasons I could talk about. Check out our website, txvalues.org. <laughs> Excuse me. We are a 501c3 nonprofit organization. Before the end of the year, as it gets critical for us, make a tax deductible donation to Texas Values. That's the only way we can continue to protect faith, family, and freedom in the state of Texas. And come to our events. We uh, December 8th, Abby Johnson, Governor Rick Perry in Plano. December 14th, we're going to be in Conroe. December 15th, we're going to be in San Antonio. Check our website. Plenty of opportunities to connect and engage with us at txvalues.org. And we'll talk to you next week on the Texas Values Report.